What's going on, my friends, entrepreneurs, small business owners, and side hustlers everywhere. We have an amazing guest for you today. We have the lovely Wanda Toro Torini, and here's her background. Okay, She has a doctorate in pharmacy. She served patients in the critical care and emergency medicine setting before venturing into the business world as a marketer for oncology, AKA cancer treatments. In 2005, she left a high paying executive opportunity in the pharmaceutical industry and leapt into the world of entrepreneurship, which is of course what this podcast is all about. She began her journey in 05, pioneering innovative solutions for multi-billion dollar healthcare companies. And as a rock star in marketing and audience engagement, she invented catchwords.com. We're going to talk a little bit about that in this episode, which is a texting platform. And guys, if you're not using texting in your marketing, when by the time you're finished with this episode today, you're going to understand how important that is because it is the gold standard in lead generation for experts who love to share their knowledge with their audience. Uh, as an expert speaker herself, Wanda was frustrated with seeing people engaged in her presentations and not having an easy way to continue the conversation. She first used catchwords to connect with all of those anonymous fans in her audience. She used her marketing skills to master the tool and massively boost the ROI of every appearance. She grew her consulting business to over $4.2 million, was able to expand her team, hire her husband, incorporate travel into her business. We love travel, right? Yeah. Uh, and best of all, invest over a hundred grand into her fertility journey in her spare time. She sings in a rock and soul band and is an acclaimed actress in the New York, New Jersey area uh, at the Children's Theater and Musical Theater Productions. She's a powerhouse mother of two who took a unique and tumultuous journey to get to where she is today, loves to share solutions. Wanda, welcome to the show. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S. and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we got a good uh, glimpse of your background. I'm curious, you know, as an entrepreneur, you've been an entrepreneur for almost a couple decades now. What was it maybe about your upbringing and growing up? What were some potential events maybe that kind of led you to, you know, maybe entrepreneurships for me, maybe more independence, freedom, what kind of led you down that path? Ooh, um, it's, it's interesting because at first entrepreneurialism was not um, a natural option for me because financially my family struggled a lot. My dad, yeah. you know, worked his butt off to, to get himself and my mom out of hell's kitchen. And I was born in the wow. Bronx, but he, um, he didn't want us. And my brother came six years later, but he didn't want us to grow up, um, in the city and in the environment that, that we were in at that, at that time. And so yeah. he took us out of there and, uh, his, his big goal was to own something to just own something. And we lived, um, in a mobile home park and, um, that was a very interesting experience for me because I saw how much my dad worked and the joy that he had in owning something of his own 
but I was embarrassed as all hell. Like I, I was just like, I remember him saying, I'm going to take you to, to like, this is going to be our new home. And we're driving and we drive into a junkyard because that's where he bought the used mobile home. And we drove up to the mobile home and he said, this will be our castle. And I was like, okay, I'm supposed to be happy for my dad because he had the vision, right? He had the vision of we were going to paint it and put it on a good lot. And and he he was talking about all this stuff. It's like location, location, location. Right now, it's a piece of junk. It's in a junkyard. But we're going to find a corner lot to put in. We're going to put a fence and a garden and all these things. We're going to paint it and put a skirt on it and, and all this stuff. So long story short, that experience of him turning that into... Our, our castle. And he actually, if anybody knows anything about selling mobile homes, they're, they're pretty much, they depreciate like vehicles. They don't appreciate like homes, but wow. he actually made more than double <laughs> what he paid for that mobile home by just putting it on a lot, renting a lot that was a corner, corner lot and doing all the things that he said in his vision. Right. Um, and he was able to sell it and then get into the townhouse that they're they're in today. But that was his path to owning something. And and in a way that was entrepreneurial, it was kind of interesting. I didn't You're definitely, see, you know, I, I didn't see it as that as, at first because I was more like, oh, my gosh, we're growing up in a mobile home. It was better for me as a kid to be a kid in an apartment. Right. But for my dad, it was very important that he owned something. And so there was struggle associated with that, that payoff and that, that personal goal. And so I think that that was pretty foundational in kind of recognizing potential, seeing, being visionary, um, yeah. kind of sticking to that, uh, not letting other people's vision kind of get, get in the way. All of that was indirectly um an influence for me. But what was interesting is because we struggled financially, my first message in my head was, um, was to get a high paying job and to go to school forever, which is why I have a doctorate degree, right? That's just kind of the poor man's understanding, right? Of, of, of how to make a lot of money. And so, you know, I go and I get my doctorate degree and all these things, and it's still, there's like this fire inside of me, like my dad's fire, you know, of, of being creative and like wanting to solve problems and all this stuff that actually always got me in trouble in my corporate jobs, because I was the person who always had like a way to do it better, had suggestions that not necessarily everybody wanted to hear. Right. Um, and that's kind of what ultimately led me into finally being an entrepreneur, because even though I was making buku bucks in working for the pharmaceutical industry, I mean, it was hard. My accountant was like, are you sure you want to do this? You're like in the mega comfort zone. Um, and I said, there's something there's something else like I, all of these ideas and solutions that I'm giving to other people. And most of them are saying, no, they don't have the vision for it. Like, I'm tired of it. I need to create create these things that I have vision for. Gotcha. So, so you went the scripted route and that's kind of how a lot of us, I think, grew up, you know, go to school forever, get that great degree, get that great, uh, solid, you know, stable job that you can count on. But at some point you had this creativity, you wanted to be able to start something of your own. What gave you the courage 
to actually say, I'm going to walk away from this executive, you know, high paying pharmaceutical job and go completely into the unknown and entrepreneurship. How did you have the confidence to think that was going to work out? We've got a lot of the audience who want to start starting a side hustle. They're thinking about going full time into it, but they're still, ah, you know, uh, how am I going to make it? And do I really want to take that kind of risk? Your accountant obviously thought, you yeah. know, accountants are great at saying no risk, no risk, Wanda. Don't yeah, do yeah, it. Just stay but you, but you like took this. the risk. Why? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I, I think my approach is a little bit different, but who knows? Somebody will hopefully resonate with me, with me. But I got to the point where I was being trained in the pharmaceutical industry as like, to be an executive leader, right? I was, I was being yeah. put on that fast track. And um, I realized I was going to go back after my training um, and lead a team of people. And I wasn't going to be happy. And I know I went back and thought about the leaders that I had and how that affected my life, right? A really awesome manager who was happy and there to help me, like that made my work life like amazing. And then somebody who was unhappy, you could you could just tell. And yeah. I'm like, well, hey, I, I, I've been an actress since I was probably like two, three years old, my mom would say. <laughs> but but, you know, I was a performer outside of that that professional career. And I said, I don't want to act every day and make believe I'm happy. I, I have a responsibility to in to motivate a team. And I know that I could be doing something else. So I would be that unhappy manager. And I couldn't do it. I literally was like, I can't do it. And I and I looked at all of these ideas that I had, and I actually couldn't I couldn't build any of them because at that time I had signed an agreement with this pharmaceutical company that anything I invented under oh, their watch. Oh, going to be theirs, right? Yeah. They'll take it. Yeah. So I had Ugh. things in my head, but nothing written down. And I'm like, I can't. I'm like suffocating. I'm suffocating. And I left without even knowing exactly what I was going to do, but I had to cut those, those ties. But what was interesting was when I was selected for that executive leadership fast track, that's when it hit me that I'm committing to this, to being, you know, a, a, an executive that, by the way, will never be home with my kids. Sure, I'll be making buku bucks, but I saw the VP at the time. She was hardly with her kids. She was traveling all over the place. And I was like, man, I don't know if I want that life, but I still want the revenue. And I want, I want that, that comfort level. I can only take that into my own hands. I want to build a system that will feed me, my family beyond when I want to work. And that, that was like the, of like, I have to do this. I'll figure out something, but I'll have to do it. Absolutely. The freedom to be able to live the life you want on your terms, having control. I think control is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And if so, and the if you're freedom to fail. Yeah, I apologize. The yes. freedom to fail, like it, in, in corporate, like even though they might say, oh, we want you to be innovative. It's like eh, a safe innovative, you know, and there were Absolutely. things that I felt so passionate that that could really be transformational. And we never gave them a shot. And I felt like that's not freedom. It's really not. And so now you, you're leaving this big, uh, you know, the great job, executive position. And somehow there, it leads you to creating catch words, which is K-E-T-C-H-C-H -C -H words. So how did that happen? What's the story behind that? Because that is just such a great phrase and uh, a great website for marketing. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. So um, it's that tumultuous path that you, you yes. described here. And, and what I like to share with folks is that um, when you hit a winner, it doesn't, you know, everybody hears about that, but they don't hear about all the crap that you go through all the failures that happened along the way. So, so I was making money with consulting and doing like random projects and such just to kind of keep, keep alive. And also just to, to see what I was digging more. Like I had the opportunity to do different, do different things. And then um, I was at a conference uh, for the healthcare industry. It was a huge conference in oncology, like 35,000 attendees. And at wow. the end of the conference, I got the opportunity to see what happens during the breakdown. Well, what happens, and this was at McCormick Place in Chicago, so it's huge. It's a huge conference. They started collecting all of the paper brochures, the white papers, everything yes. that was at the exhibit booths, and they were collecting at the center of, of the exhibit hall, and it became, Leo, a, a human climbable mountain. I wish I took a picture that day. I had no idea what it would inspire, but it was a climbable mountain of paper. And all of a sudden, a full-size dump truck gets backed into the exhibit hall. I remember the beep, 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 right? And no they were way. Putting it, yeah, they're putting it in the dump truck. And so I actually walk up because this was like, whoa, what the hell's happening? I walk up to the driver and I said, is yeah. this like a, a recycling initiative? And he, and he laughed. He had a, a long white beard before it was like super cool, right? <laughs> but I remember, I remember him. And he said, no, it's cheaper to throw it out than to send it back to the warehouse. That statement was like, wait a second, because I had been a pharmaceutical marker, spent millions yeah. of dollars in these paper brochures and such, and realize, and we even as smaller businesses spend a lot of money when we go to these events. We might have forgotten because of COVID, but guess what? You go to events and you print stuff, right? And I realized that we have no idea who picked up the brochure, if somebody read it, or if it went into that garbage, that dump truck. No idea. And, and odds are pretty good. It probably did go into that dump truck. Yeah, even. And we know as recipients of that information, even if we thought the information was valuable, it's kind of cumbersome. It's a pain in the ass. So you're like, eh, I'm just going to throw it out in my in my hotel room. Right. I don't want to put put it into my bag or into my luggage. No, it's, it's in effect. It's an ineffective way of marketing. And there had to be a better option. There, there had there to be a better be. option. So at that moment, I saw it as an eco it's eco-friendly or eco-non-friendly issue, right? And oh, to yeah. try and make an eco-friendly option. So that day, this was in June of 2007, okay? I said- Wow, that's that's 15 years ago. I feel yeah. like that story is extremely relevant right now. Yes, yeah. And, and, we, and we just have had some events uh, and that's exactly what, what's still happening. And yeah, it's a less but effective I would, way. It's totally, yeah, but I was visionary. This is like I, I yeah. channeled in my dad, right? Um, and um, and I was like, no, there, there's got to be a better way, a better way for the recipients to receive the information. Now, I was in, in, in healthcare and oncology. So yeah. in my mind at that moment, I was also thinking of the patients who were receiving these paper brochures, right? You get diagnosed with cancer, you get a paper brochure, and guess what? In cancer, there's a lot of new treatments coming up. I have no way of telling you, guess what? There's an update in lung cancer. I have no idea of knowing who you are. 
And I remember when my uncle was diagnosed with, with colon cancer that I had to get five brochures so I could give it to all my family members and then oh. one in Spanish and blah, blah, blah. It was like a mess, right? So I also thought about that. I was like, it doesn't serve the person who wants the information well. And as marketers, we don't have metrics. It's a waste of money. It's not eco-friendly, bam, bam, bam. This is called eco-files. We're going to have eco-friendly ways of sharing files of information. That's how it started. But I'm going to fast forward because when I we finally built it in 2009, we looked at all of these different technologies. Could it be near field? Could it be QR codes? Should it yeah. be like a thumb drive? Like all these things. And we settled on texting because texting was ubiquitous to every everybody had the, the, the tool in their hand, right? And whether you were in the US or global, you could text. You didn't, we didn't want you to have to download an app. You already have a texting app. Like we went through two years of, of this whole build process and we built what was then called EcoFiles. And back then my clients were these multi-billion dollar clients. And that's who I went to first. And they all said, wow, that's really cool. But only kids text, adults don't text. Oh my goodness. And it crushed me because I had spent <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars of my consulting revenue on this because I believed like this is like going to change things significantly for so many people. And um, and I just kept on getting knocked down, knocked down. And I went back to doing the regular consulting stuff and I put it on the shelf. Fast forward, I have to present at a conference, right? And okay. I realize I'm like, it's so annoying. People are taking pictures of my slides and I don't know who they are. You know, I see, I see people <laughs> taking notes. I see people taking, you, you've got these anonymous fans and, and you don't know how to connect with them. Yeah. And so, so the long road to it was, I said, Hey, I have this texting technology yeah. that has failed in my, in my mind. I may as well use it to offer my slides. That was the first time I'll offer my slides and then I'll know who, who likes it. They pro provide their email address. Now I know who they are. And 25% of my audience texted the first time. These were like old people, compliance, regulatory, pharmaceutical executives. But they're right? not, they're not tech kids texting. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and they texted for good content. Yes. And it was our process by of doing it. It was proprietary back then. It's still proprietary. Nobody else delivers the content like like we do. We work really hard to make sure because we deliver a text, an email, and an attachment because when we come back from a conference, right, you see all the emails catching up. You're going to open up the ones with the attachments. They stick out. Yes. Right. So we get an, an average email open rate of 150% because people wanted the content, they go and read it. And when we help our clients with putting together really good content, they'll go and read it again. So now like just having the opportunity to measure it allowed me to be better at it, right? Instead of just being measured by like claps or like taps on the back or whatever, feeling uh, you, good. You're able to measure it with real, you know, analytics, like how many people are opening this message, how many people are you know, reading it, who's clicking and taking the next step, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and even knowing like in a closed audience, your what we call response rate, which is what percentage of the room texted. Right. And yes. so that was my 25%. And then, um, and then at over two years, I would like change my strategy, figure out what I was going to offer, uh, change my, my presentation to, to create the appetite 
for what I knew was coming up. I call them value bombs, not lead magnets. Because at that point, you're like creating, you're giving value. And now you're saying, oh, I wish I had enough time. But I did put this together, right? Now they're like salivating. And then, um, and then you give them something of value, like truly, like don't bullshit. That's important to us. 100%. I got to, I got to the point where seventy six percent of my audience was texting on average, and and my consulting business built to the, you know, grew to that four point two million. But it was interesting because the joy of the creation and the joy of of working with the audience and the lead generation that was way more joyful than the actual consulting. It was compliance consulting that I was doing. Yeah. And this was another situation where I pivoted from something that was a cash cow. It was really making a lot of money. And and I told my husband, I was like, babe, I want to do this for other entrepreneurs because too many of us that love to share our expertise get stuck doing charity talks, which means you speak, but, and you hope that people connect, but you actually give more value than you receive. Exactly. Now, a lot of uh, business owners, marketers out there were familiar with, hey, it's the values in your list. You got to build that big email list. But tell us, explain why having a, a texting list and, and how much more effective texting can be with your audience, your customer versus just emailing. Yeah. So um, so we know that the average email open rates are pretty low. I mean, if you have a good okay. email open rate, it could be between 12 to 25% open rate, right? And then yes. some folks that um, that are very like niche, they may boast 70%. So that's super duper. That's duper very rare. rare. I mean, I've got a, you know, 80, 100,000 people on my email list. And if I'm anywhere near 20%, I'm feeling very good about myself. And exactly. oftentimes it's 10, 12%. Exactly. So you're still in the good range. That's that's good. Yeah. That's considered okay. very good, right? So the um the challenge there is because our email open rates are so low, we have to try and hit people a lot of times. So I call it it's high frequency, low impact, right? That's why we have to create so many emails because a small percentage of people will do it. Now, when you have a a catch subscriber, you know that they're going to get I call it a tickler text. They get a text saying, hey, check your email for X, Y, Z. We strategically work to make sure that you're dropping value. You're not just sending an email. You're actually sending a PDF attachment. So check for like the five tips that I just shared on the X, Y, Z. Check your email. And then and then the email we design is like a designed email, a designed HTML email, not just text, right? And then we point to like attaches this. We feature what the attachment is. And then there's the attachment, right? So it's with strategy, you can really build the appetite for the PDF because ultimately what you want to do is have them read it, not just see that you got an email. You actually want them to read it. So you need to convince them why it's valuable. But that's why we get open rates of an average of 150%, right? So with that, that's high impact, low frequency, right? You don't have to hit them a lot. You don't want to hit them a lot because then you become a spammer and a nag, right? You want them to realize that when they get that monthly or that quarterly text from you, that you're really going to drop a value bomb, right? That's exactly right. So it's where email, you might be emailing, you know, every single day and maybe, you know, you're getting some opens here and there, but with texting, people will take a lot more uh, action, but it's got to be valuable and, and you can't do it quite as much as email. 
Now, a lot of people too, you know, they might be doing an interview, they might be doing different things from, from stage, they might be sharing like their online, their, their social media handles, but like, is that really the best way to, you know, build your, build your brand, build your business? And no, I, I mean, it's tough because we've, that's the best things that we've had have been like, oh, here's my email address. Oh, here's my social media handle. I hope you follow me. Uh, closest is here's a link to a funnel or to an offer or something. And right. then have you ever tried to text one of those like quickly? And then you're like, ah, you know, it's just for us uh, or, you know, put it. Or, in or you're trying to remember the social media handle and it's this complicated, like, wait, what was it? And then yeah. all of a sudden you have one yeah. thing off and it pulls up something else. Uh, yeah. So there's actually a psychological law that I call kryptonite for for marketing like that. It's called the law of diminishing intent. And what that means is the longer we wait to do something, the lower the probability is that we're going to do it. It happens to all of us, right? So even though somebody listens and says, wow, that's awesome. I really need to follow Leo Canal, right? I have to remember that if I don't do something right then and there with the greatest intention, there's a low chance I'm going to follow up, even though I wanted it, right? So that the other thing is it's it's a little bit vanity to say hey follow me it's not as it might be interesting to me as an audience member but it's much better to say this is a piece of information that you can use tonight if this was interesting i created this this three step questionnaire for yourself or guide that you could go through tonight 15 20 minutes and and this is it's going to answer these questions for you right so now it's the natural next step for somebody and it makes sense and it's serving them and it's also displaying your expertise how you teach it's it's getting them further along the continuum right than just following you on top of following you you don't own those leads right the algorithm owns those leads exactly so, right the platform owns them right there's yeah. uh, there's traffic you control and traffic you own. And you're talking about, hey, you know, you might have a little platform on Instagram or Facebook, but that can disappear. You know, they, they control that. But when you yeah. actually have the data and you have their phone number in your texting system, now you you own that. Right. Nobody can take that away from you as long as you follow all the guidelines. So exactly. That is, that is huge. And and if, if you if you aggressively do email marketing, it's fantastic because. I like to call it, um, it's a segmentation of your audience, right? So it all depends on how you received the email address for you to determine how qualified or warm they are as a lead, right? So if you know that you put together an appearance, now remember, when you share a catchword in general, it's usually there's some sort of appearance. So they got to know and like you. They're starting, you're starting to establish trust, but you don't have enough time. You're sharing some knowledge to, to establish that trust, right? They're digitally raising their hand saying, hmm, I like what you said, and I'm open to, to trusting you, right? They're, you're, they're giving you permission to do that. So I put them as more like my VIP list, right? The people that have texted my catchword are more qualified than somebody that may have just thrown in their email for, for some very genetic, generic um, lead magnet, right? There's a difference in my world. There's a difference between a lead magnet and a value bomb. A lead magnet is usually upfront to very, a very cold audience. So you, te you tend to generalize the lead magnets, but what happens is you also attract a wider base of people. They're not as qualified, but a value bomb, you've established 
this appearance objective. You, you've, you've established a message in your appearance. You're leading them to texting your catchword. You're essentially qualifying them through that process. And then they, they digitally qualify themselves by texting. So I like to tell people, yes, you can download those email addresses and work them into your regular campaign. But I actually suggest that you treat them differently because you've acquired them in a very, in a much more intimate and in a different way. And I think that your communication should maintain that. Absolutely. So, you know, sometimes I make presentations or I'm a guest on a podcast or different things. Like how can I actually measure the impact that I'm having, you know, incorporating catch words and, and this whole texting process into that? Yeah. So when you're when you're speaking in a closed event, so whether it's digital or a physical stage and you can count how many people are in the room, there are 20 people, 50, 300 people in the room. Right. Then the first measurement is response rate. So I always say if you're speaking in front of a live audience, your goal should be 50 percent minimum response okay. rate. If you don't get 50%, it tells you a lot. It's actually really great as well to get that information because we can go through the different reasons as to why, right? Maybe you realize that that type of audience is not your audience, right? You, they were too diluted and that's why you couldn't get 50%. You could potentially never get 50%. Well, then maybe you shouldn't be speaking to those diluted audiences, right? Um, it, it could be because of your delivery. Oh, I didn't put it up on a slide. I didn't have a, a, a physical card. There are different ways that over the years, we've been doing this for uh, 13 years. <laughs> ah! um, but there are ways over the years that we realize will increase your response rate, right? That gets tran transferred over to podcast and broadcast in general, but you can't count how many people are watching and you can't control whether they're your ideal prospect or not. So it's, it's, it's difficult. And, and a lot of um, broadcasts are evergreen or a podcast is evergreen, right? So you don't have a static number, but what I say is if you're a speaker, your catchword is a no brainer. Like there's nothing that is more effective as a call to action as a catchword guaranteed, right? So that's a no brainer. But when you go on a podcast, you may as well use the same rationale because even if one person listens to that podcast and they're your person, that's the person you want to connect to. And you don't want them to get thrown in to your followers and you have no idea who that one person was relative to the other people. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. So a lot of people are listening to this and say, okay, I've got to incorporate this into my business, into my side hustle. You know, what, what's the, what's the next step that they can take because we want them to be action takers. That's what this podcast is about. We don't want you to passively learn and say, oh, that's interesting. That's cool. You know, that might help my business. No, you've got to take action and move forward and incorporate this into your business, especially with a looming you know, slow down recession that looks like might be coming. Inflation's high. There's all sorts of unknowns out there as a business owner. So you've got to be able to generate leads and you got to be able to manage your impact and, and, you know, measure that. What's the next step that they can take to start incorporating these strategies and your tools into their business? Yeah, absolutely. Well, for, for me, I think the best thing to do is actually to experience it. Right. But, um, as I tell sure. all, all my yeah, clients, right? Yeah. 
as I tell all my clients, what you want to do is actually offer something of awesome value, right? So I yes. talked about all these strategies that we've developed and such that help to optimize the experience. Now, having a catchword allows you to measure it, right? But you could still yes. use these tactics and strategies to just improve your appearances in general and make them more impactful. So the way that I put together this guide called how to transform your talk into a lead gen machine. All right. And this is what I had found out over those two years. Like, oh, how did I get from 25% to 76%? And I wrapped it up in a guide and your audience can receive it by texting example to 411321, right? So example is my oh, catch good. word, right? So text example to 411321 if you're in the US. If you're outside of the US, we're also the only platform that works across the board, but you're gonna text to something else. You're gonna text to 1909-741-1321. And you can do that texting. Like if you're in Canada, you can text to that long code number, they call it. Or if you're outside of Canada or Mexico, you could actually use WhatsApp. So the number is 1909-741-1321. The word that you text is example, right? So this is what your audience would text. Now, if it's the first time that you've ever experienced a ca the catchword platform, we will ask you for your email address, right? Because we have to deliver something for your email. But what's really cool is if you have texted another catchword before, we won't ask you because we know who you are already. So you'll wow. instantly get the piece. Some people are like, ah, is this voodoo magic or whatever? And I'm like, no, because we built it. See, if you use some other like Frankenstein systems, yeah. like every experience is like, I have to put provide my email again. I have to provide my email again, but we designed this for experiences where like, let's say every speaker at a, at a conference has a catchword, right? You, you don't want to have to provide your email address every single time. So we made sure to build the experience that once the system knows who you are, you could just text a catchword to us and, and you're good to go. So text example to 411321 outside of the US to 1909-741-1321. And I'll give you the information so you could put it in the episode notes as well, Leo. Um, but that's how you're going to receive this, how to transform your talk into a lead gen machine. Literally, if you have a podcast coming up, if you have a speaking engagement coming up, at a minimum, look at the strategies so you can do better. But you can also, you'll get the link when you text example, but you could go to catchworks.com. You could get a very quick, basic catchword. We'll set it up for you. We do all the tech to make sure that it's compliant and all that. We set it up for you and then you'll have it for at least your next uh, presentation. And then there are other ways that we could serve you through strategy. We have higher level programs, but to me, every speaker at a minimum globally should have a catchword because you're, you're missing out on those anonymous fans and you could serve them. That's what we're here to share our message for, right? Guys, speaking of value bombs, Wanda just dropped a massive value bomb on you guys. <laughs> if you didn't catch that, it is ah. text Text the word example to the number 411321. By the way, I just did it. It was very easy. Uh, about a second later, it asked for my email. I put in my Gmail and I've already gotten an email, four killer strategies that will transform your talk into a lead generating machine. It was very simple. It was very powerful. Text example to 411321. If you're driving, if you're on the gym, you know, on the treadmill, just take five seconds just and do that. And, and now you pull over right, if you're driving. We want to inspire you into action, right? Yes. I, I don't want you to hear this. And, and I love that that's your message with all of your uh, podcast episodes, right? To take action because um, that's what 
that's what makes change. Like stop yes. just thinking about it, like do something about it. And this allows, well, one, you as the listener today, but um, if you are a speaker, it allows your audience members to actually, you know, turn their inspiration into action. Absolutely, guys. Guys, text example of 411-321, get in the game, take action, learn, incorporate this into your business. And Wanda, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I so appreciate sharing the message. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.